show of hands. You know, they're looking for ladies who would like to be part of the pool to cover the church's front, well, the front desk so that people can go to lunch or have an illness if they need to. So um, raise your hand if you've ever worked the front desk at the church. Oh, not at the church. Oh, just two of you? Oh, she said there were like five of you in here. If you would ever like to do it, you could even just do it once a month and sit at the desk and connect phone calls and do exciting stuff. So I wanted to tell you a story because I was telling Robin this. This is not in my gift mix. When I was in college, I got a temp job where I had to answer the phones and, you know, so I'd say, Comac, hold please, Comac, hold please, and then try to connect them. Finally, somebody came down from upstairs and said, every time you put somebody on hold, you're doing it on the whole building intercom. So, I was terrible at that job. And everybody couldn't get their work done because of Comac, hold please, Comac, hold please, so. Anyway, but if you are more gifted than I am in this area, then consider uh, letting Sammy or Diane Krim know. Okay, that was number one. This is right in your face. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, number two is the Eastside Academy auction is coming up in a few weeks. Um, and we have, for the past several years, done a little fundraiser. If you can't make it to the auction, or even if you can, um, we're gonna, the next couple weeks, have your table leaders, table leaders, Here's something we thought of this morning. If you could bring a little envelope or not, we'll try to, I'll try to remember to bring some extras, and we'll take up a little collection. And then what they've done in the past few years is when it comes time in the auction for the fund to need, they'll say, hey, women at the well collected X amount of dollars, and if anyone would like to give it that same amount, and we have had great success in doubling our donation. So um, we've done that for at least two years. It's been great. and. Um, so yes, the next couple weeks, if you won't be here the next couple weeks and you've got a 20 burning a hole in your wallet, then give it to your leader or somebody, Robin or somebody, and we will make sure we try not to lose it. <laughs> okay, so that's my other, and, and don't forget, if you want to go to the auction, great fun. Okay, those are my two announcements. And now we will begin with Matthew 4. Um, you know, uh, UW just started this past week, so the week before, my daughter, my oldest, got her wisdom teeth pulled, all four of them. And uh, so I sat down to start writing this talk on the day she got them pulled, which meant that she was just in, I just, I don't have an office, like right in the dining room. So she was lying on the couch in the other room with her face all swelled up and half drugged, and she was binge watching Gossip Girl. So. I don't know if you've ever seen Gossip Girl. I myself had not seen Gossip Girl. I'm like 18 decades too old to see Gossip Girl. But just from what I heard from the other room, it is exactly as deep and edifying as you might imagine with a title like Gossip Girl. I've got this, um, so there they are. There's the cast of Gossip Girl. Um, so, but the basic premise seems to be there's this teen blogger who lives on the Upper East Side in Manhattan, and she blogs all about her the rich and glamorous teenagers around her, and they're all leading these sort of tortured, oversexed, over-fashionable, kind of inbred, rich, glamorous lives. And so, very exciting show, but I mean, like really, how many seasons of this can you, how many do they make? And I mean, she just watched episode after episode while she was on her phone and drugged. So you don't even need full concentration for Gossip Girl. Um, so what does this have to do with Matthew 4, you wonder? 
Actually, it has something to do with it, I realized, uh, as I was being inundated. Because in this chapter, we see this 40-day window before Jesus begins his very, very public ministry. Um, and he is going to be followed by crowds and crowds of people, and some people love him, and some people hate him, and everyone wants something from him, right? And this is still how people respond to Jesus, right? Some people hate him, some people love him, everybody wants something, everybody has an opinion. Um, he, he'll be so public that he can't help but be very controversial, right? All public people are controversial. Some people hate public people just because they, you know, they're contrarian. Um, so for every Jesus lover, there's going to be a Jesus hater. And his public life will look at times like the craze and sweeping the nation, and at times like an epic failure. So um, I was just thinking, how many uh, articles have you read in People magazine or movies you see about country music stars, and the, the, where the public person has to deal suddenly with this wall of fame that hits them? I was thinking, because I just read this bit about Macklemore. You're wondering who that guy is. Again, I am a couple decades too old. To, I would hear about him at Mariners games, right? He would do like anti-domestic abuse stuff with Felix Hernandez. So I'm like, okay, whoever you are. But um, he said this, and then once I Googled some of his songs, it's like, oh, he's that guy. Okay, I'm not gonna sing it for you. You can go home and Google it. Um, but he says this. He says, there was a rapid transition, and to have the world's eye on me all at once with back-to-back -back number ones, poor Macklemore, right? And all the accolades that came with it, I didn't know how to deal with it, Macklemore 34 continued. I didn't know how to adjust, so I escaped. The stream of sold-out arenas and media attention was relentless and soon took its toll. I used drugs to cope with it and get out of my head, he admits. Dealing with love, criticism, and outside public perceptions is a balancing act. So. He's saying, oh my gosh, when this happened to me, I didn't know what to do, so I did drugs, right? So you take any public figure, the ones you admire and the ones you hate, right, and have mercy on them, because they're all under this magnifying glass of just intense pressure. And it's funny, we talk about God becoming a human in Jesus and experiencing so many things people experience, um, loneliness, hunger, adolescence, Jesus had to go through adolescence, um, grief, suffering, and that's all true, but Jesus also went through fame, which God willing, not many of us will have to go through, right? He, he went through fame, and all the fun that fame can be, and all the misery that fame can be, and fanaticism, and misinterpretation, um, and temptation, right? And temptation. So temptation is a very funny thing, and we're going to talk about that today. It sounds like a weakness. It sounds like a failing, right? If you were a really strong person, you wouldn't have these temptations. Um, when we are tempted to eat a half gallon of ice cream by ourselves, or to drink more than anyone else thinks we ought to be drinking, or to go shopping to buy that thing that will make us feel a little better than we feel now, or to fantasize about, oh, if I could change this one thing in my life, or this one person, if I could change this thing in my life, my life would be so much better, right? Um, and if only we could change. What? That doesn't make any sense. All right, never mind. And, and we are not proud when we are tempted. These are not things we brag about. Like, oh, I was fantasizing that my husband was dead, and then I would be free, right? I had a friend who lost her husband, and people came up to her and said, oh, I wish it were my husband. I'm like, uh-oh, right? 
temptation to somebody, they might often be horrified even if they face the same, same temptation. I was, I'm in James right now in my personal Bible reading, and he says that, he says, you know, God doesn't, don't say God tempts me. He says God doesn't tempt people, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's James 1.14, right? Temptation is something you, you have, it just bubbles up inside you, and, and there it is, right? And so, but temptation is just something that we have because we are people and we desire things, right? Um, and the problem only comes when we give in to the temptation. Um, when we are vulnerable, we find ourselves tempted, and when we give in to the temptation, then we're ashamed. We are ashamed of the temptation. James goes on to say, you know, desire, when it has conceived, meaning you have given in to that desire and that temptation, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Like, ah, terrifying, right? And then the writer of Hebrews, you know, he says this very famous line. He says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. As we'll see in Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Temptation is not a sin. Has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because Jesus understands, oh, yes, because he understands what it means to be tempted, the author goes on to say, instead of feeling shame about our own weaknesses, he says, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's not, it's not because that we are always able to withstand temptation that we can approach God. It's because Jesus was, right? We are going to give in over and over and do things that we are ashamed of later. But because Jesus faced temptations and was able not to give in, um, the writer of Hebrews says that's why we can approach the throne of grace, right? Not because you've been well behaved, but because Jesus managed to do it. Um, okay, so two things are going to happen when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And one is that he will be equipped for what lies ahead, unlike poor Macklemore, right? Jesus will be equipped for what lies ahead. And the second thing is he will grow in his understanding and compassion for us. You know, for God to understand what we go through, he chose to go through it as well. And Jesus will understand what it means for us to be tempted because he himself is tempted. Okay, so let's look at the first, right? Jesus is going to go into his public life equipped, unlike Macklemore, Unlike, what was that number that movie walked the line? Same, same trajectory, right? Hits the big time, does drugs, goes way downhill. And, you know, they all follow that sort of, hmm. So, but Jesus doesn't want to do, hmm, right? He wants to, like, okay, I'm going to face it head on so that I am equipped when it comes. Um, and instead of abusing drugs, and as long as there have been people, there have been substances to abuse. It is amazing. If you go back and you study any culture, any time period, they had a drug of choice, right? There has always been something to abuse. Um, Jesus decided to go about things differently. And this chapter is cool because we get this first glimpse into his inner life. Um, we've been reading up to now about here's how he came to be, here's kind of Joseph's family history, and by extension, Jesus' adopted family history, and here's kind of what happened. But now we get to see a glimpse of his inner life. And we can work backwards from his actions that we see in this chapter and his words into what he was like and how he spent the time the gospels skip over. 
So let's read Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, we're going to stop right there, just one line. Um, so Kristen ended with a very high point of woohoo, public baptism and audible voice and visible sign and huge moment, right? Um, and then Jesus doesn't like, boom, here I am, world, I'm starting my ministry, right? He retreats and he detours. And the Bible tells us this detour is spirit-led. So what does that mean? It means a couple things. It means just because there was this very public, visible, you go, Jesus, you know, it didn't mean he felt ready yet. Um, and those things laid the groundwork, certainly for the people around him to think, whoa, something special about this guy. Wow, that didn't happen to Joe when he got baptized, right? It's like, whoa, gotta keep my eye on this guy. But it didn't mean, it didn't mean that he himself felt personally ready to launch, right? It was like a public confirmation. That's, how, that's the first thing it tells us. The second thing it tells us is that Jesus clearly was already in the habit of introspection and prayer. He was already in the habit of introspection and prayer. This little bit about um, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Well, he doesn't say, you know, Holy Spirit came down in the shape of a polar bear and took him by the hand. And no, it's just Jesus, by his lifelong habit of introspection and prayer, could feel himself being led. Like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing next. So how does this happen? Um, how do Christians go around saying things like, I felt like God wanted me to do X, right? Or I felt like God was telling me to say Z, right? They can if they are already in the habit of listening and watching and getting familiar with how God speaks or operates. You ladies are getting some practice at that because that's what a Bible study is, right? You've got thousands and thousands and thousands of examples of how God speaks, the kinds of things he says, the kinds of things he asks people to do, to obey him. Um, and some of them can be crazy. If you were in church, you know, talking about Abraham and Isaac, can you imagine? I just thank God that, is not, that was not asked of me. Take Holly. Well, maybe I would take Holly. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. Um, at certain points when Holly was 17, I would be like, this one? Got it. I'm on it. But, um, but other times, right, there are things where you just think, you want to make sure that is God's voice talking to you. Um, and the way you make sure is, you know, is it consistent? You can ask people, if you don't feel comfortable enough recognizing what is the spirit, what is God's voice, ask other people whom you trust, right? And you can see the fruits of their life, and oh, I have seen how you have tried to listen and obey and follow God. I feel like God is telling me this. What do you think of that? And if they say, that's nuts, then, you know, think about that. But, um, okay. Uh, yes, so it's the same thing. How are you in a big crowd able to pick out your spouse's voice, a kid's voice, your best friend's voice? Because you've been around them so much, right? You know that voice. That's how it is with the Spirit. If we spend time, we are able to pick it out, even when it is very noisy around us. Okay, We begin to recognize certain mannerisms, certain um, ways they speak. Okay, it doesn't mean you can't make a mistake, so remember I said that. It doesn't mean you can't make a mistake, but 
you have a better idea of how God talks if you know how to listen to him. Okay, so that was the second thing. Jesus was clearly in the habit because he heard and felt, okay, the next step isn't boom, launch. The next step is retreat, retreat. So he felt he was not ready to enter public ministry until he spent some time in the wilderness. So what is the wilderness? The wilderness. Um, it's a physical place. You can look on maps, the wilderness of Judea, kind of in between Jerusalem and all the little towns and the, um, and the Dead Sea. You know, just these kind of, that's a very, um, I kind of stylized that way. But it's the same picture from earlier. See the little wilderness? Same kind of stuff, right? Um, very desolate, um, very dry, the desert. Okay, it's also a metaphorical place. Uh, paralleling, if you remember, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, and uh, God led them to the wilderness to wander around for 40 years. Right? And it was a building experience for them as a nation. It was a purifying experience for them. And the 40 years in the desert for the nation of Israel becomes 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus, right? who embodies the role of Israel. Okay, and then it is also a spiritual place of isolation where you feel completely alone, um, apart from what you brought in with you. And you are at the mercy of the devil and of temptation. I think... All of us at one time or another have experienced wilderness in one of these senses. Right? Okay, so who or what is the devil? We are going to go faster than this, don't worry. Um, we will get past verse 1. But, but there's so much in verse 1, right? Who, is, who or what is the devil? I, I liked this definition. My Bible notes were actually handy for one. It said, something, an evil force, conceived as a personal will in opposition to God's will or God's work or God's ways. Right? Um, so we have traditionally, in art, in books and stuff, embodied it, right? That's how we understand things, incarnation. So we, we picture God, or not God, Hello. the devil, you know, the little red guy running around uh, with the pitchfork and that kind of thing. Um, but it is, it is also an embodiment, a, a spirit of evil abroad in the world. And it has several modes of operation, right? This is how we recognize it, and these are all places we've seen in the Bible. The first is accusation, right? The devil accuses. We see it in Job. He's called the accuser, which means saying false things or no longer true things about someone or to others or to the person himself, right? When you hear that voice say, you will always be a total failure. You will never overcome that sin. You will always be that person who did that thing. That is the way the devil speaks in his accuser role, right? And so the way God would counter that, right, if it's in opposition to God, God, God would say, my child, I absolve you. I am the absolver, right? That thing you did, that, that action, that the words you spoke, you have asked my forgiveness and I absolve you. So if the, if the devil works in accusation, God works in absolution. Second thing, if the devil works lying and deceiving, right? Jesus says in John, he's the father of lies. And he lies about God, he lies about you, all that kind of thing. Then clearly the way God works, the way God counters is with truth, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm coming here to tell you the truth. The truth isn't always fun and nice to hear. Sometimes lies are a lot more comfy to hear than truth. But this is what I have to say. Okay, the devil works in division. How can I split you people up? so that you spend all your time fighting with each other 
instead of getting something done for the kingdom of God. Jesus is more interested in reconciliation, right? How can I put you people back together so we can get to work instead of you all fighting over every little thing, okay? The devil is into illness and death. In Luke, you remember the woman who's bent over and, and Jesus helps her straighten up and he says, why shouldn't she, why shouldn't this child of God be able to be set free from her bondage and stand up straight, right? Jesus is about restoration and he is about life. Those are the things here. He's about restoration and about life. Okay, the devil is about persecution in Revelation. They talk about this dragon, and the dragon is persecuting the churches, right? Um, punishing people for, for following God, right? Jesus is about encouragement. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, I'm going to carry it with you, right? The devil works in persecution, God works in encouragement and cooperation. Okay, and finally, temptation. The devil works in temptation. Right? You have this desire in you. You have desires for things. That's just the way we're built. Right? And the devil will want to turn those, let's turn those desires to not so good things. Right? And God is more interested in how can we take those desires you have and focus them on the right things. How can we right focus your desires? Okay, so that's the devil. So the Bible tells us that God wins the war. If you read to the end of the Bible, God wins the war. Right? But the devil seems to win a lot of individual battles. Have you noticed? I just feel like, I look at my own life and I feel like, God, you may win this war, but boy, the devil wins a lot of individual day-to-day -day battles with me. And I've told you before that one of my morning prayers is, Lord, today, help me not to be a tool of Satan. Help me not be putty in his hands. So I thought, you know, let me give you some tips. This is like mini screw tape letters, right? How to be a tool of Satan. So in case you were wondering, today I want to be a tool of Satan. Here's how you would go back and see my little picture of Putty in his hand. Okay, how to be a tool of Satan. Well, first you can start by accusing other people and assuming the worst motive for their actions, right? Well, you said this, and so clearly you meant that. Well, maybe they didn't. And I'm speaking out of person. Scott gets emails all the time. You said this, and so clearly you did this, and you meant that. Scott says, well, actually, I didn't. I didn't do that, and I didn't mean that, and half the time I didn't even say that, right? Go back and here's the transcript of the sermon. I did not say that. So, um, so the accuser, the tool of Satan, you want to accuse people. You don't want to give them, you know, the benefit of the doubt. No, they meant badly, right? That is being a tool of Satan, ladies. Let's not do it. Um, you can lie to other people. You can guilt them. It's like, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. You can shame them. If you've ever been a parent, you might squirm during this part. Um, not the lying to so much, though when they're little, you might lie. One time the bus drove by and it had the Disney princesses on ice sign. And Holly said, what is that? And I said, oh, it's just like a, they want you to know who their princesses are. Because I thought, oh, dear Lord, I don't want to go to that thing. Right? <laughs> I lied. Right? And that's just a small, harmless example. But you know, we lie. We lie for our own convenience. Um, we guilt people, we shame people. That's of the devil. Um, stir in the pot, right? This is a division. To encourage division in our relationships. Oh, well, did you know what so-and-so said about you? Or, oh, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so because she's doing this and that, right? When we are stirring the pot, oh, I think, I think, I think, you know, they're really trying to work against you when they do this and that. Be careful, right? Pot stirring is of the devil. Let's try to avoid it. 
And, and we, when we try to draw others into doing what feels wrong for them, right? There's that temptation thing, right? And Jesus says, it is better that you have a millstone around your neck and you just sink to the bottom, that, that you take, some, take advantage of someone's vulnerability and leave them into wrongdoing, right? Don't do it. That's of the devil. Okay. So, ladies, quick, quick, how to be a tool of Satan. We're going to move on and try to learn from Jesus. Lori, how, how would you do it if we didn't want to be a tool of Satan today? How would you do it, right? Um, help us, Lord, to, to do your work and not the work of the devil. Help us encourage. Help us have faith in others. Help us reconcile people instead of dividing them. Okay. So we fight temptation with preparation. Look at this workout. I hate working out. So I just want you to know that today, do what I do, or do what I say, not what I do, because I hate working out. Um, so just a reminder, temptation is not a sin, right? It can never be eradicated. It's a function of us having desires in our heart, right? And, and sometimes we will be more vulnerable to it than other times. Um, but it can be combated with preparation. And, um, and you can probably sit down. I think it was one of the questions, which I don't have a copy of. One of the questions, when are you most tempted? By our age, we probably have an idea, right? It's when I'm depressed. It's when I'm lonely. It's when I'm X, Y, Z, right? I hope by now we can recognize and we can fill in the blanks. And so we can, um, we can, that is part of our preparation. If you don't know when you're tempted, spend some time thinking about it, right? Spend some time thinking about when was the last time I gave into a temptation I wish I hadn't given into? And what were my circumstances in that case? How can I prepare for the next time that will come along? Because that time will come along again. That's what life is, right? We're gonna face it over and over. We'll see Jesus faces the same temptations again, later in his ministry. Okay, so it can be combative. So yeah, good question. When am I most likely to be tempted? What tempts me the most at those times? How do I respond to that temptation? Is it food? Is it binge watching Gossip Girl? I mean, give me her pass. I mean, she was drugged and in pain, but, but you know, um, you know what, is my, what is my go-to when I am tempted? And how can I prepare in advance? If I'm kind of a predictable creature, and I am, how can I prepare for that? if I want to do it differently next time. Okay, so how does Jesus prepare? Jesus fights temptation with preparation, and this is how he prepares. With solitude, with fasting, these may not work for everybody. With solitude, with fasting, by wrestling with it, right? Not just take me away, temptation, but just like, I'm gonna wrestle with this. I'm gonna try to fight this, right? By pondering, the devil keeps giving him something to think about, and Jesus will think about it and then respond, right? And by study of scripture. This is how he prepares. And I'm thinking about the parable of the sower. Oh my gosh! Okay, forget the parable of the sower. Let's keep going. Okay, Matthew 4, 3 through 4. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, bread. Um, oh, but before bread. Two of the temptations begin with, if you are the son of God. Meaning, you know, prove yourself. Prove yourself. Um, justify yourself to me. And I just want to say, you know, Jesus responds. He said, it's not about who I am. It's about who God is. If you look at how he responds to each temptation, the devil says, prove yourself. Jesus says, it's not me, it's this, but this is who the Father is, right? 
So we, if you are ever feeling like you need to prove yourself, you need to turn that around and say, it is not about me, it's about who God is and, my, and who God says I am. You know that, that uh, Hillsong United song that's out right now. I am who you say I am, right? Not who the world says I am, who you, God, say I am. That's the voice that matters. My son Jackson, it's his turn to um, apply to all the colleges, and <laughs> he hasn't done the essay question yet. And we said, well, what are some of the prompts, right? And he's like, oh, what makes you so special? What did you do that made you special? What's so special? We said, is that really what the question is? Everything is special, special, special. He said, well, no, they don't use the word special every time, but basically it's like, why should you go to our college? What's so special about you? It's like, ah, the common app is of the devil, right? It's like, you know what? The tempter begins with what makes you so special, right? Forget that. You know what makes me so special? My father made me, and he loves me, and he, I am unique, and I am special. Try sending that into a college and see how they go. <laughs> Probably not will. Okay, but that's the world. Okay, let's see. Not who got it. Okay, so Jesus is going to come to a deeper understanding of himself and his purpose by coming to a deeper understanding of God through his temptation. So let's look at bread. Number one, bread. Bread represents personal health and safety. It says he was hungry. He was hungry. Um. So it's like, oh, do you feel uncomfortable? We can take care of that. You don't have to feel uncomfortable, right? Bread represents personal convenience. Using what God has given you. Look, Jesus, you can make your own food, right? For your own purposes or to serve yourself. Um, so personal convenience. These are the temptations. Jesus, do you want to worry about your personal health and safety? Jesus, do you want to do things on your timeline and for your own convenience? And finally, winning friends and influencing people. And boy, did that work, right? Ooh, let's follow this guy around. He can multiply loaves and fishes, right? He can, this guy can feed us. Um, if you've ever read the Brothers Karamazov, right? They said, oh, men, we will sell our souls for a loaf of bread, right? We, so Jesus could have been tempted, like, Jesus, you can be the most popular guy on earth if you just, you know, open for business and just start handing out the bread left and right. Woo. Okay. So, so Jesus faces these temptations, right? People are going to come after you wanting things out of you, and it will be very tempting because he loves us to be like, oh, here, here, I can fix that. I can do that. I can do that, right? I, I've got the power here, 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 right? Um, but sometimes God has a different agenda in that moment, right? Then healing, then feeding, right? Um, sometimes we will be fed, sometimes we will be healed, sometimes God wants to do something different. We don't like it, but sometimes he does. So Jesus counters the temptation by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, from, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy here. Long quote about God feeding the Israelites again, the 40 years in the wilderness, right? With the manna, with the manna. Uh, verse 3, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There, so, yes, provision, God provided the manna in the desert, but because they were getting hung up, they were not getting to the deeper thing, right? Provision is caring, but it does not solve every problem. It is not the ultimate purpose. And the ultimate goal was for the Israelites to know God better. Oh, 
Whoever is providing this manna for us must really love us and be taking care of us, right? He wanted them to know him better, not just have a full stomach. Um, they have a father who provided. He had greater food for them that would feed them spiritually as well as physically. So Jesus knew he was not called to open a soup kitchen. He would feed some people, but his purpose was to lead people to greater knowledge and deeper relationship with God, right? Just as God with the Israelites in the desert. Yes, he fed, but his greater goal was know me better, right? And Jesus says, okay, sometimes I will feed people, but my greater goal is know him better. And, you know, bread is like a big temptation for us because it's saying use what you have on hand to feed and comfort and provide for yourself. Use what you have on hand. Use that food in the fridge, right, to feed and comfort and provide for yourself. Use that bottle of alcohol to feed and comfort and provide for yourself. Use that money. Use that entertainment. Use that sex. Use that fantasy life. Use those drugs to feed and comfort and provide for yourself. The temptation is there, right? I don't feel good. What can I do about it? Never mind God, right? What can I do about it right now? Instantly. Let me open the fridge. Let me open the bottle. Let me turn on the TV, right? This is a big temptation for us. How can we work against it? Okay, we've got to keep moving. Um, oh, I said that. Okay, keep going. Five through seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are, prove yourself, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Okay, temptation number two is... Test God and use him as you wish. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. There aren't any stories in the Gospels about Jesus having extraordinary powers before he began his ministry. Um, it seems the only time someone ever asked Mary, what was Jesus like as a kid? What is the story she wheels out, remember? It's, oh, we went to Jerusalem for Passover and he sat with all the teachers of the law and then he went AWOL and we had to go looking for him, right? It was not a Jesus added an extra layer of gold to the temple or something like that. It, the power, she tells a story about him acting like a normal, aggravating kid, right? Like, uh, he's very gifted, and yet he did this thing that scared us half to death, right? That's the story Mary comes up with. Um, so, in his public ministry, God is going to invest him with extraordinary powers. And to use them for personal purposes might be a temptation, like the bread temptation, but also, was he willing to seek what God wanted and the glory of God rather than what he might want and his own glory, right? The tempter says, hey, you're going to get these new powers? Try them out and, and you know, and try out God's love for you and, and see what you've got in your corner. What can it do for you, those new powers? Like, for example, would God save you from pain and destruction? That is a temptation to Jesus, like, wow, look what I can do now, right? How am I going to use this? And yet, thank God Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days for this temptation because he is going to face it again at a pivotal time. If you remember, we're going to see it again in Matthew 26 when Jesus is arrested and Peter goes all ninja, right? Ah, whack, whacks off the guy's ear and Jesus has to heal him. And, and Jesus says, 
this isn't the way it's going to go down, right? Don't you think if I wanted to, I, I could call legions of angels to save me, right? That is the power he has. He says, I know God has given me this power. If I just said the word, legions of angels would come to save me. But he has to resist that temptation, right? But he said, but then if I do that, how will the scriptures be fulfilled? So Jesus is able, because of the time he spends now, he is able to face that temptation later and to resist it again. Um, think about when he first tells his followers, you know, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, and Peter says, no, 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 no. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Right? He hears it again, that voice of the tempter, saying, you don't have to do this. Right? And thank God Jesus says, no, I'm going to do this. It's tempting to not do this. I don't really want to do this. I'm going to do this for the joy set before me. Okay. Um, yeah, what would have become of us if Jesus gave in to that temptation? Well, we'd just be on our own again. Okay. So, same question for us. What are we going to do with the powers we have been given? Because we too have been given gifts and amazing things that we are able to do, each one of us. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to use it for ourselves or for God's glory? Um, or a little bone, which is probably how most of us have used our gifts. Okay. Okay. Eight to eleven. We're cooking now. Eight, 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 eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed. Ooh, sorry, we missed that one. Um, a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, "All these I will give you, because he's the prince of this world. All these I will give you." If you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Okay. So the final temptation. Give up the eternal for the temporal. Right? Lose sight of the destination because the scenery is so appealing. And um, we know this temptation too, right? So many things about earthly life are so appealing. And... All along the way, there are going to be people and places and detours that we will be drawn to. And sometimes those things lead us closer to God, and sometimes they do not, right? And um, we can so easily forget about where we're going or why. So the question is, Jesus, are you going to love the here and now because you are going to make 12 best friends who you're going to love? You're going to see all these people who love you, and you're going to love them back, right? But where are you going to rule? if you're going to obey and love God. So here the tempter is also the deceiver. Right? How many of us, if we have spent any time chasing the things of this world, um, sex, money, looks, achievements, fame, I don't think any of us got particularly famous, but we may have tried it, right? Um, people's good opinion. How many times have we found it, if we got that thing, that, oh, actually, I'm not ruling over this thing. This thing seems to be ruling over me, right? Macklemore. Take Matt for Macklemore. He finds fame, right? Fame and riches. And he wasn't ruling over those things. Those things were ruling over him. Okay? So Jesus fights his lie off. He says, you know what? I know this. This one's easy. Only God is worthy of worship. Because only God loves us. Right? Only God loves us. Okay, whew! Like I said, the temptations, they are going to reappear. That's what they do. Um, so this is why we prepare. And this is why Jesus prepares. Okay, he comes out of the wilderness, and the first thing he gets is bad news. <laughs> That's always what happens to you, right? Verse 12. He comes, and the angels have been ministering to him. Yay! 
Then he, then he comes down, they're like, oh, John got arrested! Right? That's the first thing that greets him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and dwelt in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, toward the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those, for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Okay. So he gets his bad news. And um, those circumstances, it's bad news, but it also reveals to him, aha, now is the time. Now is the time for my public life to begin. So he retreats to Galilee for two reasons, right? One, it's a safety move. John has been arrested. All that stuff is going down there. And he... He has been associated with John, so he retreats to Galilee. And it's also a move made in awareness, as Matthew is aware. Um, Matthew quotes this verse from Isaiah, and Isaiah says that the ministry of the Messiah has got to begin from there. Right? Kristen, last week, she showed us those ancient trade routes. And, uh, oh, I have a map, yay. Um, those ancient trade routes. So if you look at the... Um, the orange arrow is the wilderness of Judea, where he spent the 40 days and nights. Nazareth is the green arrow, of course, where he grew up. And then Capernaum, even further north, on the Sea of Galilee, right up there. Okay, so he retreats there. And um, we know that this way of the sea was the route that the Assyrians took when they invaded the kingdom of Israel in 732 and 733 B.C. That is the way they came, the way of the sea. And we know this because um, in 2 Kings, do I have a slide? No, I have no slide. It says this. In 2 Kings 15.29, in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ijon, wherever that is, Abel-Beth-Makkah, Genoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali. And he carried the people captive to Assyria. So Jesus starts his ministry in the place where Israel's degradation and enslavement and exile and captivity began, the root of shame. He goes and he starts there, right? The root of shame is going to become the place from which God's deliverance emerges, the same root. Right? Jesus' ministry is going to recapitulate the path. And at the same time, he's going to rewrite that defeat into victory. That is the road they took when they took us into degradation and exile and enslavement. And that is the way God is going to start his healing, is along that same road. Okay, when Jesus comes for us to save us, he often starts in the places where we are most broken and finds us there, right? Because we are softer in those places where we're broken. Um, we don't have our glittering defenses up. And so where we are most degraded and enslaved and captive and ashamed of ourselves, our diseases, our addictions, the behaviors we hate and we can't stop, where we feel most defeated in life, this is where God wants to start with us and lead us out. He wants to start where we first gave in to that temptation, which led to sin, which gave birth to death, right? He wants to go in there, set us free from the sin, and give us life again. Okay, two final thoughts on the chapter. Yay, we made it. Okay, um, I just want to say, since we didn't read to the very end, 
It is interesting that in Matthew, uh, Jesus begins his ministry after John's arrest, and he begins his first little sermon is John's sermon. He says, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The sequence and the echo both confirm that John's ministry, and it confirms John's ministry, and it expands on it, right? He's going to start there. John has to decrease as he gets, and Jesus increases. But it isn't that Jesus won in the ministry competition. It's that they passed the baton, right? So Jesus says, okay, you give me that baton. What you were preaching was the best place to start, and that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to say what you were saying. Okay, he goes on to call his first followers. Matthew is very bare bones about it. Um, we don't get to hear about Peter's mother-in-law and all that kind of stuff. Um, he officially launches his ministry, teaching and preaching and healing and gathering more and more followers. We're going to hear lots about this. And like Macklemore, he has all this sudden activity and success and fame and all those crowds, and that could have all freaked him out and gone straight to his head. But because of his experience in the wilderness, Jesus was equipped. And he knew, this is not about me. This is about revealing God, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we all have places in our life where we are most vulnerable to temptation, Lord, and where we seek to comfort ourselves with what is at hand. Lord, help us. Help us to seek you. Help us to find you. Hold our hands in those difficult places we are in, Lord, when we face sickness and death and temptation, Lord, hold our hands, help us. We know, um, remind us, it's not about us, it's about you and who you say we are. Jesus, we pray for that freedom. We pray that we invite you into those places where we feel most degraded and most vulnerable and ask that you might come in there and start your healing there, Lord. Give us life again, we pray in Jesus' name.